0: Well, good morning, Arbor. Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's a good day. Uh, I got to admit, I feel a little bit like that uh, Native American legend where the uh, warrior comes down from the mountain. And he sees the ocean for the very, very first time, and he is dumbfounded. He cannot believe how big the ocean is. He had never seen the great waters before. And and so what he does is he comes down, he runs, he jumps in the water, he wades in it, he swims in it, he goes, he sits down on the shore, and he, he's sitting there and he's thinking... Oh, man, what can can I do? And so he goes and he grabs a jar and he scoops a little sand in it and a little bit of the water and he puts it together and someone asks him, what are you doing? And he says, my people have never seen the ocean before. They've never seen the great waters. So I'm going to take this back and I'm going to show them. Which you and I know, that's, that's, in a million years, that's never going to happen. You can never fully explain the majestic, huge, expansive nature of the ocean with a little jar of water and sand. And that's a little bit how I feel this morning, because we are tackling the, the humongous, big topic of the Holy Spirit And truly, I feel like I am sitting here holding a jar with a little bit of sand and a little bit of water, and I'm supposed to communicate this vast topic to you that even in myself, I'm just, I'm learning more and more and trying to comprehend. And so this morning, I just ask for your grace as I will humbly do my best to to share with you what God's Word says when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Our goal is that. Our goal is to bring a biblical understanding for this series of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of, the reason, we have a reason behind doing this series, is that we want to be moving this, our church, to experience more of him, to experience more of the Holy Spirit. So that's our goal. Tim Downs, an American author, he said this, he said, watches, cars, and Christians can all look chromed and shiny, but watches don't tick. And cars don't go. And Christians don't make a difference without insides. And for a Christian, that is the Holy Spirit. And so last week, we set the foundation. We asked the question, who is the Holy Spirit or whom is the Holy Spirit? And we said that the Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps. That's who he is. He is a divine person who helps. When Jesus talks about him in John 14, he does not reference the Holy Spirit as an it, a thing, a force, some cosmic consciousness. He refers to the Holy Spirit as a person. And not just any person, he is a divine person. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit is God, God the Holy Spirit. The best part of it, though, is that Jesus is that the Holy Spirit helps. Uh, Jesus said that in John 14, called him the helper. Right? He is a helper, and he is not someone to be feared because he's on our side. In fact, he is someone to be embraced. And so he is on our side to help us. That was last week. We talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. This morning, what I want to try and do is I want to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this is where it gets a little bit more personal. This might be a little bit more uncomfortable uh, today. And so let's talk about the promise. Centuries ago, a promise was made from God the Father, through Jesus the Son, and it is documented in Acts chapter 1. Here's the promise. It says this, Once, when he, he being Jesus, was eating with them, them being the apostles, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you, and here it is, the gift. The gift he promised, as I told you before. John, baptized with water, But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Friends, the promise was a gift, and that gift is the Holy Spirit. And I want to take a second and unpack the significance of how big a deal the fulfilled promise of the Holy Spirit actually is. Because if you've been in church for some amount of time... This might have become second nature. You might overlook, you might not remember or or maybe you've never even heard the significance of the promise fulfilled of the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about that. Here's what Jesus said. He said this to his disciples. He said, I tell you the truth. It is actually, and this is crazy, best for you. Other translations say it is good for you. It is better for you. It is profitable for you. It is to your advantage. It is for your benefit. All other translations that say it is actually best for you that I go away. So it's best for them that Jesus leaves, exit, departs this planet. Because if I don't, Jesus says, and notice the capital H there, helper, the Holy Spirit, the helper won't come. If, if I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. It is crazy for me to fathom that it would be best if Jesus left the planet. I try to put myself in the shoes of the disciples often when I hear the stories of the gospel. And and this one in particular, to hear Jesus say, hey, you know what? It's going to be best for you, disciples whom I love, uh, if I go away. And that sounds ridiculous. I think if I was a disciple, I'd be like, Jesus, (laughs) no, you are the best thing that has happened to us. I was a fisherman. I was a tax collector. I was a nobody. And then you came along and you gave my life significance. And so for you to go, no, 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 no. It is best that you stay. But yet Jesus says, it is best that I go. I have imagined, and maybe you have done the same over and over again. I've thought about this. What would it be like to have Jesus in the flesh right here with us right now? I've dreamed of that. What does he look like? What would I do? Right? If I had a question during devotions, I'm spending time reading God's word. I could, you know, at a coffee shop, flip the Bible around and go, hey, hey, Jesus, what did you mean when you said this right here? I mean, would that not be amazing? Would that not just be so nice to be like, oh, yeah, I got that? If you had a headache, you don't need Advil, you don't need aspirin. You just say, Jesus, I have a headache. And he goes, Got it, taken care of. Nailed that thing for you, right? If you're hosting a party and you want to run out of guacamole, because you always run out of guacamole, Jesus could put his hand over the bowl and go, "There's more." you know? More guac, More guacamole. If your dog is running across the street, gets hit by a car, Jesus can bring your dog back to life. If your cat runs across and gets hit by a car, Jesus can do the funeral right on the spot, okay? Amazing. How amazing would it be to have Jesus in the flesh? I have dreamed, I have imagined, and yet what Jesus says, he says it's best if I go. It is best if I go. It doesn't make sense, but it does when you put it in this context. Through the context of God with us. We say that phrase during Christmas time, typically. God with us, but go with me for a second here. In the Old Testament, God was with us at select times. He was here, he was gone. He'd come, he'd go. He was in the garden, he was in a pillar of fire, he was in the burning bush, a cloud, a tent, a temple. Throughout time, he had a hand-picked a pile of prophets that he'd go in and out of. You, they would receive the Holy Spirit for a select time to do a particular task in the Old Testament. Samson, for example, Judges fourteen six. the Spirit came upon him and he became super strong. King Saul, who was not really a good king in, in 1 Samuel eleven six, he had the Spirit come upon him and eventually, this is nuts, the Spirit left him. And because the Spirit left him, David, who had the Spirit come upon him in 1 Samuel 16, 13, he said this in Psalm 51, don't take thy Holy Spirit from me. He said that in Psalms before the Holy Spirit became available to all. Because the Holy Spirit would come in and come out of people and places at select times. That was the Old Testament. And then something changed. Jesus came. And for 33 years, the Holy, God was God with us for a period of time. Every Christmas, we recite this. We say, behold, the virgin will conceive. And just a note, who helped the virgin conceive? The Holy Spirit, Matthew 1:18. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, for 33 years, God walked on this earth. For 33 years, God talked to us on this earth. For 33 years, you could sit, you could eat, you could laugh, you could cry with Jesus until he said, you know what? It's better that I go. And you're like, what? How is it better that I go? Well, it's simple math. Jesus in a human form can only reach who was his disciples. He reached out to 12 individuals. But the Holy Spirit, who is essentially God, just like Jesus is God, is with us. God with us all the time. Friends, that is the good news. That is the promise. Last week, we talked about the word helper that Jesus talked about. And I told you it was parakletos is the word for it. Parakletos. I didn't tell you this, though, that the Greek prefix para actually means to be or side by side to be with to be next to, God with us. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another parakletos, helper, to be with you for how long? Forever. Friends, that is the promise. It's a huge promise. The Holy Spirit with us always. The Holy Spirit with us always always. I will say it again. The Holy Spirit with us always. This is good news. This is crazy news. This is ridiculously good news. Instead of responding like this right here, we should be responding (laughs) like this. Because the Holy Spirit God himself is no longer separate and will never be detached or distant from us ever again. He is right here, right here, inside of us, living inside of us. The Holy Spirit with us always. That is the promise that Jesus gave thousands of years ago. And it is still true today. And so let's talk about when. When this promise came to pass, because there's a lot of great details. So we're going to talk about Pentecost. And Pentecost changed the relationship of the Holy Spirit in every believer from that day forward. From that day on, the Holy Spirit, for the first time, was available to all. Not just the ministry elite, not just the Christian elite, not just pastors, not just priests, not just missionaries. To all, the Holy Spirit became available to. Prior to that, it would be prophets. It would be God's select. But now the Holy Spirit, God himself, is available to all. Acts chapter 2, here's how it went down. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Why were they waiting there? Because Jesus said so. Remember? He said, go, do not leave Jerusalem, do not go away until I send the helper. And so they're waiting. And suddenly... In this upper room, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Last week, we described what the Holy Spirit was like in a few different ways. And one of the ways was wind, right? He was a pillar of of, of fire. He was, you know, he was was a dove. And in this case, he is wind. And he filled the house where they were sitting, which is crazy because they're on the inside of the house. And yet the wind came on the inside. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And friends, as much as I'd like to explain and try to paint a picture of what that looks like, I have no idea. No clue. And everyone, and here's where it's big, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The tongues was a confirmation of the promise that was given to the disciples. Now, what's interesting is you would think if I were to pick this book up and I were to read that, I'd be like, okay, that's that's crazy talk. That's weird. Except I have experienced this firsthand. Years ago, I went to a conference and I went with my buddy named Carlos. I had just become a Christian. I grew up in a Pentecostal environment, and so we were there at this conference, and we were down at the altar call, and we were praying, and we were praying together side by side, Lord, I want more of you. Whatever that is, I want more of you. And while we're praying down there, all of a sudden, my buddy Carlos, who I didn't know was bilingual, all of a sudden started to speak in another language. And I just thought, okay, well, that's cool. You know, And maybe he's speaking in tongues because, I, like I said, I grew up in a Pentecostal environment. And so he is speaking in tongues at the altar. It was a great night. We met with God, went back home, went to sleep, got up the next morning, came to breakfast at the conference. On our way to breakfast, and this is nuts, We ran into two um, Asian gals, pretty gals. They came up to us, and they started talking to us. And we were like, hey, how's it going? You know. (laughs) They came up, but they weren't talking to us in a normal language, in English. They were speaking in their native language. And they weren't talking to me. They were talking to Carlos. And Carlos and I are looking at each other, and we're like, sorry, we don't understand what you're saying. And in the midst of that conversation, they were like, how can that be? Because last night, when you were at the altar, you were praising God in our language, and you didn't even have an accent, is what they said, which is crazy, right? Other languages filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, we, Carlos and I, are like, you got to be kidding me, right? Because I was there when he was speaking, and I was there when they came up and told us of the miracle. And my faith, and his faith, and their faith was just skyrocketed in that moment. In the Bible, it goes on, and it talks about the fact that they were amazed and perplexed that someone could do this. In fact, back at Pentecost, verse 7, it says they, and they is referring to the crowd that had gathered outside of there when, when this wind came up, and, and, these, and these guys, these disciples, were speaking another language. And they said, they were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained. These people, these apostles, are all from Galilee, meaning that they are uneducated and not bilingual. And yet, we hear them speaking in our native languages. And verse 12 goes on to say they were amazed and perplexed, as we, Carlos and I, were amazed and perplexed. In this case, the multiple languages was a miracle and a confirmation of Jesus' fulfilled promise. What was that promise? The Holy Spirit with us always. The Holy Spirit with us at always, always. Now, At this point in our talk, we are going to have to talk about some difficult things, some doctrinal differences, a little bit of a debate, if you will, surrounding the indwelling, specifically when, when does someone have the Holy Spirit come inside of them? And to give you a little framework, let's talk about how you interpret Scripture. Number one, one way you interpret Scripture in different types of uh, passages and different thoughts from the Bible is called dogma or dogmatic beliefs. These are what we will call close-handed thoughts. These are truths that we cling to as Christians. The absolute essentials. Believing that Jesus is God is a dogmatic belief. That he died, that he rose again, and that the only way to salvation is through him. Those are dogma. You don't believe those, you're not Christian. That's, 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 those are dogmatic, close-handed beliefs. The other side of the coin is what is called doctrine. And those are open-handed beliefs. These are important, but they are not essential to the Christian faith. In other words, we can disagree on what we think on certain passages and how we interpret them and still be a part of the family of God. They are open-handed doctrinal beliefs. This, what we are talking about right now when it comes to when the Holy Spirit comes inside, is a doctrinal open-handed belief belief. One thing we must agree on though is that at Pentecost that that was a confirmation of the fulfillment of Jesus's promise that the Holy Spirit was with us always. I was brought up to believe that you needed to have a secondary experience after salvation. That once you came to faith in Jesus and you professed your faith in him, The Holy Spirit was not in you, and you need to have a second experience or to be baptized, sometimes referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, evidence of this will be tongues you would speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit would not have entered into you if you did not speak in tongues. It's what's known as the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is based off of four out of five narratives inside of the Gospels and inside of Acts that basically tell you when the Holy Spirit came, um, tongues, four out of the five of them, were shown to be speaking in tongues as the evidence of that. This is one way to interpret Scripture, and many of my friends do interpret Scripture in this way. This is what I used to believe. I don't believe that anymore. What I believe now is this, and again, this is open-handed, is that at conversion, the Holy Spirit enters into you. At salvation, they, they are tied together. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residency. Some refer to this as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And here's why I believe that. This verse and many others. But in Ephesians 1.13, it says this. And when, so it's talking about timing here, when you believed in Christ, so this is the moment of salvation, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit at conversion whom, and there it is, the, who he promised long ago. Whom he promised long ago. When I grew up, and maybe you did too, you'd see these commercials and they'd show these great robots or these cars or something, and you'd be so amazed as a kid. You're like, I want that. I want that. And at the very end, it would always say the same thing. Batteries not included, right? At the very end, this great thing. Wow, it's amazing. You can do it. Have it. Play with it on your own. Batteries not included. When it comes to the Holy Spirit and salvation, batteries are included. Okay. <laughs> You get the package deal, the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes with. You can't say, oh, I'd like to have faith in Christ, but not the Holy Spirit. They come together. It's a package deal. And so if you are saved in this room, I believe that the Holy Spirit lives in you already. If you are confessing Jesus is Lord, then the Holy Spirit's right here. He is physically inside of you. Now, for some of you, that excites you. For some of you, you might ask this question, is that it? Is that, is that really it? The Holy Spirit's inside of me. That I don't feel any different. And I will tell you this, it is not it. And I want to explain that a little bit. And I want to do that through talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, whom he is, that he is a person, Right, What he is like. Today I want to talk about what he does post-Pentecost. Because everything changed at Pentecost. What does he do now that the promise is fulfilled? Here are the three things. You can write these down if you want to. We're going to go through them again. The Holy Spirit, number one, comes after you. He comes after us. The Holy Spirit comes inside us. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Three different things. After, inside, upon. And so let's look at the first. The Holy Spirit comes after us. Before you were saved, before you knew anything about Jesus, he pursued you. He went after you. He chased you. Some might say he hounded after you. If you've been in church for a long time, the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as the hound of heaven. In the 1800s, there was a poem written by Francis Thompson who told his his testimony about how he tried to run from God and and yet the Holy Spirit pursued him, hounded him down until he became a Christian. The Holy Spirit was around you before you got saved. And friends, that's actually how you got saved. The Holy Spirit was hanging around you to make you feel real bad So that you would do something really, 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 really good. Which is to say yes to Jesus and turn to him. The Holy Spirit comes after us and convicts us in order to draw us in to salvation. Jesus said this, he said, and when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict who? He will convict the world, that is us, of its sin and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. The world's sin, all right, now he's gonna call it out right here, is that it refuses to believe in me. Friends, before anyone can figure out that they need a savior, they need to realize that they are a sinner. And that is the job of the Holy Spirit. He comes after us to convict us Sometimes you might have heard that still, small voice. That is the Holy Spirit that people are referring to, where he comes after you, and if you're going in the direction where you shouldn't be going, he's saying to you, in yourself, because he lives in you, not nah, go this direction, right? Or move that direction. Come this way. Go that way. Don't do that. Yes, do this. He brings conviction. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Now, it is, it's so important that we realize this. This is really important. It is not our job, to convict anyone of sin. That is not our job. Elizabeth, she's 13 years old. She sold 11,200 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. That's a lot. A lot of cookies. So she got on TV for that, and the lady was interviewing her and said, hey, how did you do it? How did you sell 11,200 boxes of Girl Scout cookies? And she says, it's easy. I just looked at people straight in the face, and I made them feel guilty. (laughs) That's it. Now, it may work for Girl Scout cookies. It does not work when it comes to Christianity. It is not our job to convict anyone of their sin. In fact, when we do, it comes across as condemnation. And so when you have friends, family members, people who don't know Jesus, lost ones that you love, leave it to the Holy Spirit. Put it in his hands. Pray and lay them before him, and he will go after them. He will pursue them. He will guide them to realize that they need a savior. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, got up and he talked, and 3,000 people came to Christ on the very first day. 3,000, first time. I'm going to tell you this. It wasn't because Peter was a great speaker and a great communicator, because he was a fisherman. Right? He had never done anything like that. And you can actually read the account that he had. It is true, it is clear, but there is nothing fancy that would move 3,000 people into faith except for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he was at work that day. The Holy Spirit comes after us. The Holy Spirit also comes inside us. Paul asked this rhetorical question. He says, don't you know? that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives where? In you. Friends, after Pentecost, everything changed. From that day on, anyone, and I mean anyone, who said yes to Jesus or put their faith in him received the Holy Spirit inside of them. This is called baptism, key word here, with the Holy Spirit. Not baptism of the Holy Spirit, because I'll tell you this, the term baptism of the Holy Spirit is not found anywhere in God's word. Anywhere. Yet I hear it all the time. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is, and there's a difference. Jesus said, for John baptizes with water, but in a few days, so now he's actually talking about Pentecost, you will be baptized with, keyword with, the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the Greek word baptizo. It's a good name, baptizo. It means to immerse in. And so like when we get baptized with water right here, someone goes under the water, they are immersed in the water and then they come up. When you get baptized with the spirit, you are also immersed into something. When you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, he comes inside of you and he plunges you. He emerges you into the church with a capital C. You are baptized into the church. You are immersed into the church. Look at what Paul says here. He says, some of us, referring to those who said yes to Jesus, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. In other words, we are all different. But, we all have been baptized into one body, body of believers, one church, one family, by one spirit, and We all share the same spirit. That is the Holy Spirit inside of us. When we say yes to Jesus, we are baptized into a body of believers. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit into his family. And that is the church with a capital C. Now, this might be a terrible comparison, but when you said yes to someone and you got married, for better or worse, you were immersed into their family. And you know that what they say and what they do now affects you for better or for worse. And it is the same thing when it comes to God's family. In fact, we talked about God's family a few weeks ago. But at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residency. And we are baptized in, inside, into one huge, beautifully diverse, and oftentimes loving family. Okay? The Holy Spirit comes after us. The Holy Spirit comes inside us. And lastly, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks. You will receive power. Right now we're talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then in two weeks we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, and there it is, upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Different prepositions, right? After, inside, upon. All of them have different meanings and a different experience. Upon means to Um, have a flowing out of a flowing out of an overflow of the Holy Spirit and so let me see if I can illustrate it the best that I can with a very simple illustration the cup represents us the picture the Holy Spirit in the very beginning I was saying that the Holy Spirit comes after us so you'll have to use your imagination as the cup runs away and the Holy Spirit follows right? (laughs) But eventually, he'll never leave you alone. And then what happens from there is when you say yes to Jesus, when you say, I'll put my faith in you, the Holy Spirit at that point in time begins to fill you. Right? And all of a sudden, he comes inside of you. This is the church age. Prior to this, this was impossible. The Holy Spirit would enter individuals and then leave and come and go. Once Jesus came, sacrificed his life, was rose again. He had the Holy Spirit come on the day of Pentecost. And now available to all is the Holy Spirit indwelling, filling us. Upon is different. Upon means it overflows more and more. And don't worry, it will dry. This is what upon means. As the Holy Spirit pours into you, you will overflow. Some of you are like, what is he doing? <laughs> It'll dry by tomorrow, maybe. But out of us flow what is the Holy Spirit is pouring into us. This is what it means to be upon, upon the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about that because it's very important. Okay. On the day of Pentecost, two things happened simultaneously. They both happened, and and these are what they are. Number one, there was the baptism with the Spirit. And secondly, there was the filling of the Spirit. And yes, the Bible does make a distinction between the two. Baptism with the Spirit we talked about this, takes place at the moment of salvation and places the believer inside of the church, the family of God. It is a single, one-time, non-repeatable event. You never, ever, 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 and I'll say it again, ever, 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 see in Scripture someone being baptized with the Spirit a second time. It's a one-time thing. Baptism with the Spirit. Now, there is also the filling of the Spirit. And this takes place after a person is saved, typically. On the day of Pentecost, they happened at the same time. And it is on a continual basis that we are being filled. And this is to empower the individual to speak and to serve, to say and to do in Jesus' name. In Scripture, we see that the filling of the Spirit can happen to the same person multiple times, Acts 2.4, Acts 4.31, Acts 9.17, Acts 13.9, and in Ephesians 5, we are actually given the command, I repeat, the command by Paul to be continually filled with the Spirit. This is amazing. Look at this. Paul says this. He writes, therefore, do not be foolish But understand what the Lord wants you to do. So here's what the Lord wants us to do. Do not get drunk on wine, to which some of us are like, ah, crap, right? (laughs) Because that will ruin your life. There you go. Instead, key words here, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those two words, be filled, are actually one Greek word, plerao, plerao. And first and foremost, it is a command that is given. This is something that we are to do, that we are being commanded to do. Secondly, it's written in the passive form. Here's what's interesting we don't really do anything. The Holy Spirit does the action, He does the actual filling. Third, it's written in the plural form, which means that this is available to all. Like I said before, not just the ministry, spiritual elite, not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just priests. This is available to all believers. And probably the most important about that word is this, is that it is written in the continuous form. It is the imperfect Greek tense, which is best translated to this. Be Constantly being filled is what be filled means when you read it. Be constantly being filled. In other words, filling continually. The Apostle Paul is commanding us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not a once and done kind of thing. This is is a constant day by day by day surrendering. Now what I find super interesting is that Paul compares being filled with the spirit to being drunk, and which is crazy because this is not the first time in Scripture that this comparison has been made. In fact, on Pentecost, I don't know if you've read it before, but it actually says this: when the crowd saw the people talking in tongues and in their native languages, they assumed they were drunk, and they're like, "We're not drunk, it's nine in the morning. We're not drunk." Yet, all right, (laughs) it's nine in the morning. But yet the Holy Spirit, the filling of and drinking are tied together. Now, in no way does this referring to someone losing control. In fact, it's the opposite. What Paul's talking about here is giving control away or giving control over. When somebody drinks too much, they give voluntarily, some level of control over to alcohol. People will say and do things that they normally would not say and do if alcohol wasn't involved. We even have a word for it or a phrase. We say, oh, well, that's not them. That's the alcohol talking, right? They gave alcohol some level of control. And what Paul is saying here, and this is great, is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to be under the continual influence of the Holy Spirit, to be filled by him, to give him full, full control. If you will, think and picture a hand-in-glove situation. You are the glove, the Holy Spirit is the hand. He comes inside of you and he gives you motion. And he is the one who is filling you and is directing you on where to go. So to be crystal clear, the Holy Spirit is available to all all believers, there is one baptism and there are many fillings. One baptism, many fillings. Here's how Pastor John Piper put it, and I think he was brilliant in this. Go with me. It says, first, the baptism and the blessing of the fullness of the Holy Spirit may occur at the moment of conversion and leave nothing to be sought, but its preservation and growth. Growth. Second, even if one does not experience the fullness of the Spirit at conversion, the thing to be sought is not a second blessing, as if that experience would be the end of our spiritual quest. What we should seek, and this applies to all Christians, is that God pour his Spirit out, and notice his word choice here, pour his Spirit out upon us so completely that we are filled with joy, victorious over sin, and bold to witness. And in the ways he brings to that fullness are probably as varied as people are. It may come in tumultuous experience of ecstasy and tongues. It may come through a tumultuous experience of ecstasy and no tongues. It may come through the crisis of suffering when abandoning yourself totally to God or it may come gradually through the steady diet of God's word, prayer, fellowship, worship, and service. And here's the best part. Listen to this. However it comes, our first experience of the fullness of the Spirit is only the beginning of a lifelong battle to stay filled, continually filled with the Spirit. Friends, the Holy Spirit is absolutely mysterious. Yes, he is. Can we understand him? No, we cannot. There's no way we can fathom who he is and his complete nature. Is he powerful? Oh, yeah. He's very powerful. Probably the most powerful force on the planet Earth. Is he to be feared because he's so powerful? The answer to that is yes and no. He is not to be feared because he is good and he is on our side. He's no reason to be scared of the Holy Spirit. But we should fear him or stand in awe of him because of who he is and because of what he does. Maybe you're here and the Holy Spirit has been after you. It's one of his jobs. The Holy Spirit comes after us. He has been convicting you of what you have been doing that you have done a great job of keeping concealed, but you know in your heart of your hearts that you got to stop. Or you need to start doing this and stop doing that. Maybe you need to confess. What it is, it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit that is drawing you closer and closer to Christ. And you got to listen to that voice. That is that still, small voice of the hound of heaven and trust him, and confess to him, and repent. Repent, friends, doesn't simply mean I feel bad for what I'm doing. Repent actually means to change directions. Jesus would say your sins are forgiven, and yes, they are. They are forgiven for past, present, and future. But he would also say your sins are forgiven, so go and sin no more. So if you're living in sin, the Holy Spirit is gonna continue to come after you and convict, convict, convict until you lay that before him. Maybe the Holy Spirit is coming after you in the sense that he wants to be inside you. Maybe it's time that you say yes to Jesus. You have been putting it off. I don't know about this whole Christian faith thing. It's definitely not the popular thing to do right now. But yet there's something inside of me that thinks, just maybe this might be where the answers lie. I can tell you this. That if you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come inside you. And I don't promise that he will bring peace around you, but I do promise that he will bring peace inside of you. Because that's what he does. He comes inside of you. That's saying yes, he comes inside. Next thing, maybe this, maybe you're here and you need the Holy Spirit to be upon you. I had thought... A better illustration would have been to have a garden hose that continually pours out and doesn't have an end, right? But I couldn't figure out how to get a garden hose up here. And so this had to do. But continually pouring out upon us. Because maybe day by day, you don't feel the mighty, infinite power of the Holy Spirit working inside of your life. If you don't feel that, if you don't know that that's what's happening then a couple things could be going on. Number one, sin could be going on. The Bible says that we can quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, both done through sin. And so the key is we don't need to live in sin anymore because Jesus has taken care of that. And so it is to go and sin no more. Secondly, if you are not feeling the power of the Holy Spirit inside of your life, and again, we'll talk about that in a big way in two weeks, but if you're not feeling the infinite power of him in your life, Jesus said this. He said, so, if you, talking about us, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give, and I love this, look at, look at this here, the promised gift, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. All we got to do is ask. We say, Lord, I want more of you. Holy Spirit, I want more of you. Fill me. I pray on a regular basis. Lord, fill me. And you're like, Jake, why do you have to pray regularly? Well, I leak, okay? I say, fill me. You leak. I leak. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, fill us because it is a continual thing. It's a continual thing. My hope in this series is that we would have a biblical understanding to the best of our knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is for the purpose, friends, of moving us to experience Him more. That's our goal. And so in the next couple weeks, next week we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about what does it mean To walk through the process of sanctification with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. How is He molding you? How is He shaping you? And then the following week, like I said, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that will come with the gifts. We'll talk about the different gifts prophecy, we'll talk about tongues, we'll talk about all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For now, my friends, He's not someone to be feared, He's someone to be embraced. Right? We don't have to be scared of what we don't know because what we do know is that he is for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.